Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Janet Rodriguez, the office's administrative director. Today, we're going to talk about mind-body medicine with James S. Gordon, MD, a Harvard-educated psychiatrist, author, and world-renowned expert in using mind-body medicine to heal depression, anxiety, and psychological trauma. In 1991, he founded the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, a 501c3 nonprofit educational organization that we will learn more about later. Joining us to co-host this episode is Tatiana Zinyenko-Miller, a student in the MSHS program in integrative medicine at GW. Welcome, Tatiana. Tell our listeners uh, about your connection to Dr. Gordon and a little more about him. Hi, Janet. Thank you so much for your kind introduction. Um, It's really excellent to be here with you and Dr. Gordon today. Since May of this year, I've maintained an internship functioning as the clinical research coordinator for the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. This position has extended to me the opportunity to work directly with Dr. Gordon, Executive Director of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. Now, Dr. Gordon has created groundbreaking programs of comprehensive mind-body healing for all types of health professionals, people with cancer, depression, and other chronic illnesses, children and families traumatized by natural and man-made disasters, and the U.S. military returning from Iraq and Afghanistan. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, Dr. Gordon. Thank you so much, Janet, and thank you, Tatiana. Dr. Gordon, you served as the first chairman of the Program Advisory Council to NIH's Office of Alternative Medicine, and you were also the chairman of the White House Commission on Complementary and Alternative Medicine Policy under Presidents Clinton and George W. Bush. How did you become interested in mind-body medicine? Well, you know, I think I've... uh... I think I've always been interested in mind-body medicine in a way because I was interested in what was going on inside me. I was interested in uh, how my psychological functioning affected my physical functioning as a kid. I, you know, I had you know, would wonder, especially when I got to be a teenager, how you know why why was I sick at a particular time? So that idea was in my head. And when I was still was about sixteen, I started reading Freud, and I. You know, he made very clear the intimate connection between what we think and feel and what goes on in our body. And so it seemed to me perfectly natural that the connection was there. And it was just a matter of time uh, as I learned more about it, as I explored different techniques for myself to help myself to uh, feel better, to heal, to remedy issues in my life that even very good psychotherapy hadn't. Um, hadn't uh, changed, that I began to explore our approaches like meditation and Tai Chi and yoga and Qigong. And this is beginning, really beginning in the 1960s. So uh, it was personal. And then once I got to the National Institute of Mental Health, where I was a researcher for about 12 years, I I wanted to find out, well, well, how does this work? And what's the science behind it? And is this just wishful thinking or is there something real? So I made it a, a major part of my job to look into this new field of what we were then calling a holistic, we now call integrative medicine. It's really the same word. Both holos and integer mean whole, just one is in Greek and one is in Latin. 
And I started looking at the science behind these techniques and meeting the scientists. And it's just everything kept growing from that. And to me, it seemed a very, I, I began to think this is early in the 1970s, either this is totally obvious and this should be absolutely fundamental to the way all of us think about medicine or healthcare, or I'm, I and a whole bunch of other people are quite deluded. <laughs> and the more the science came out, the deeper my experience became, the more clear it was is that this is a fundamental kind of understanding that we need to have if we're going to help ourselves and help other human beings to stay healthy and to heal themselves if they become ill. So, Dr. Gordon, uh, could you talk to us a little bit about what mindfulness is and what role it plays in treating psychological trauma? Mindfulness is simply moment-to-moment awareness. Mindfulness is really what all forms of meditation ultimately are uh, at least aiming at or are concerned with. And mindfulness is simply becoming aware uh, in a relaxed state of your thoughts, feelings, sensations as they arise, and then coming back to the task at hand. And the task at hand may be breathing, a quiet sitting mindfulness meditation, or it may be walking, or it may be doing your uh, you know, homework in a course, or washing the dishes, or making the bed. Mindfulness is really an attitude that we bring to everything that we do. And all forms of meditation, and there are really three fundamental forms. There's concentrative meditation, in which you concentrate on an image or a word or a breath. Uh, there's mindfulness meditation, which is a Buddhist practice, which is 2,500 years old, where you uh, become aware of thoughts, feelings, and sensations as they arise. And then there are physical, expressive meditations, fast, deep breathing, whirling, jumping up and down, dancing, shaking, and then the slow forms of expressive meditation, like uh, Tai Chi and yoga and Qigong. So all those forms of meditation are different routes, different ways of cultivating mindfulness. And mindfulness is then what we bring to the activities in our daily lives. What are the m- most common and dangerous misconceptions about psychological trauma? Well, I, you know, I think people have the idea that trauma just comes to those other people, those people who have been in wars or those people who have been raped or horribly abused for years in childhood, when in fact trauma is a, a, a part and parcel of all of our lives. And all of the religious, all of the spiritual traditions, anybody who's lived long enough knows that if trauma doesn't come early in life, It's going to come later on as we grow older and suffer physical disabilities and lose people we love and face our own death. So the the first misconception is that trauma is something that just comes to other people. Trauma, and that's a Greek word that means injury, psychological trauma, will come to all of us. It's part of life, not apart from it. And the second misconception is that once you've been traumatized, you're stuck with it that that's the way you're going to be and that you're condemned to a life of sort of endless medication or psychotherapy, when in fact trauma and its very real biological as well as psychological consequences can be reversed. 
by or at least significantly diminished or put in perspective by a whole variety of mind-body approaches, by meditation and guided imagery, as well as by the way we eat and the way we move our bodies and the kind of uh, human support that we find or create around us. So that second misconception is once you're traumatized, it's for life. Now, trauma obviously takes a significant toll, and that toll we're now finding out can be reversed by these techniques that we teach at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, these techniques of self-awareness and self-care and group support. Um, so you said that trauma will come to all of us, that it's necessary, but that it also bears um, sometimes profound biological and psychological consequences. Um, what can we do then to prepare for it? How do we develop resiliency? Well, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, necessary um, is one word. I, I would say inevitable is a better word than necessary. We don't, you know, we, it's not like we need it. It's just going to come whether we need it or not. So that's the first thing. And the second, and you can see that I'm, I'm laughing a little because we need to gain some perspective on trauma. That's fundamental. And that's one of the reasons why meditation is so important. Meditation not only creates the physiological homeostasis, that is, it rebalances the body. It brings us out of the fight or flight response, which trauma provokes into a state of relaxed moment-to-moment awareness. It can break up those fixed patterns of freezing that happen when we're seriously traumatized. And it also gives us perspective. It gives us perspective on what's happened to us. Not that it makes it go away, not that it makes trauma, the trauma we've experienced, the losses, the terrible disappointments, the abuse. It doesn't make them easy, but it gives us an understanding that it is, although they, it may seem like the end of the world is coming, it is not. And that it's that perspective that comes with meditation. So I would say meditation is a fundamental part of preparing us to deal with the trauma that, that comes inevitably to us. And this is understood. I mean, this is, this is all the traditions, all the forms of meditation. Concentrated meditation is part of all the world's major religious traditions, for example. And mindfulness meditation, although it was originally Buddhist, is coming into many different spiritual and religious traditions. And expressive meditations are the planet's oldest form of helping to free us from the trauma that comes to us, freeing us, working through our bodies. And also, as we do that, as we free up our bodies and we begin to move freely and to sort of express what's been held in, our minds begin to clear up. So meditation is the fundamental way to to build resilience. The, The other thing that's really important is to understand And when trauma comes, we really need to reach out to other people. That the idea that we have to be totally self-sufficient, rugged individualists, is, uh, is, is mistaken and potentially dangerous. We know that the single major uh, factor in healing from trauma is the support, the connection with other people who care about you, other people who who listen to you, other people who will be there for you. So it's important uh, if you think about your life, and I mean, these are sort of this is painfully obvious, but, but it's important to be connected to your family, to friends, to people who are part of a, a community around you. So those two things, 
I would say meditation in its various forms and connection with other people are probably the two most important factors. We're social animals. We are social animals. We evolved in bands, what the anthropologists call bands, 30 or 40 or 50 people living, working, being together all the time. That's what our biological programming is designed for. We're not designed to be solitaries. We're not designed to live just a couple of us together and very removed from other people. That's a very modern and I think um, not terribly healthy idea or ideal that we promulgated. Yeah, um, absolutely. So um, fundamental to resilience is this development of meaningful connections, um, the practice of things like mind-body medicine techniques like meditation. Um, Could you talk a little bit about um, the efficacy of these techniques as established through academic literature? Sure. There's a a great deal of evidence for the uh, efficacy of a variety of different mind-body approaches. There's a, a, a book, uh, I have a book coming out soon on trauma, but this is a book that I wrote a few years ago called Unstuck. And it has many of these references in there about how to use meditation and social support and nutrition and exercise to, to free yourself from depression. And, and many of the principles are very similar for dealing with trauma. Uh, I I think some of the the best evidence comes from the use of meditation to uh, restore damaged brain functioning and to enhance uh, enhance the the number of cells in our brain, the number of neurons in critical areas of our brain, like the hippocampus, which is uh, responsible for a number of aspects of memory and also responsible for mediating stress. And also the enhancement of functionality and activity in the frontal part of the cerebral cortex. There's a whole bunch of research done by uh, Sarah Lazar and uh, Britta Holtzel at, at Harvard and others just showing, you can see on scans, you can see the change in the structure of the brain in people who meditate. Meditation also enhances compassion. Research by Richie Davidson at University of Wisconsin is really important in showing that uh, that capacity. Meditation also can can reverse some of the multi-generational effects of trauma. So uh, what we've learned in recent years is that if you're seriously traumatized, it may change the way your genes function. It doesn't actually change the structure of the genes. Trauma doesn't. But it changes some of the supporting tissue, some of the supporting players in the chromosome, and therefore modifies the way genes act. And when we're very seriously traumatized, for example, we may well be more vulnerable to future stress And that vulnerability can be passed on from generation to generation. And techniques like meditation seem to be capable of reversing those changes, which are called epigenetic changes. Epi means above in Greek, so it's above the gene, things that modify the gene. So meditation can reverse those epigenetic changes. Meditation also is capable of reversing changes that may come to a structure in the chromosome called the telomere. 
and telomeres at the end of the chromosome, and they shorten as we grow older, and they shorten with extreme stress. And research at University of California, San Francisco, by Alyssa Eppel and Elizabeth Blackburn, who won the Nobel Prize for her research on telomeres, shows that meditation can stop the shortening of telomeres and may even be able to restore some of the length that's been lost because of psychological trauma. And so meditation may, and it still may, may help us to prolong our lives. And then there's a host of research on the importance of various forms of meditation in helping to reverse and prevent heart disease, type 2 diabetes, pain syndromes, etc., etc., etc. So it works on every aspect of our physical as well as our psychological functioning. And the evidence is there. And you can look at Unstuck, my book Unstuck. You can look online. Um, it's just uh, it, it, the, the body of evidence is growing. And I think it's really, really uh, extraordinarily powerful. One of the things that I'm fond of saying is that if meditation were patentable and profitable, Every physician, every healthcare provider on the planet would be prescribing meditation in the first session with, that they see someone, and, and they really should be, even though even though it's not patentable, it's not profitable. The hard evidence is there for its benefits. How are you adding to this research? The, the primary research that uh, that I'm involved with is, is research we're doing at the Center for Mind Body Medicine. The, the particular area that I've chosen is to study the comprehensive program that we have of self-care and group support. It's a program that includes all three kinds of meditations, concentrative, mindfulness, and expressive meditation, guided imagery, biofeedback, autogenic phrases, which are phrases that modify the autonomic nervous system and bring it back into balance, Self-expression and words, drawings and movements, genograms, which are our family tree, that the, this model, we teach all of these approaches in a small supportive group. And the primary research that we've been doing is studying the effect of these groups on people who have been severely traumatized by war and poverty and soon natural disasters by school shootings. Uh, studying the effect now, some of the people we've trained are studying the effect on chronic pain, on immune functioning. We've done some studies on medical students, one of which showed a number of published studies on medical students showing decreased levels of stress, improved functioning at school, better sleep, more hopefulness about becoming physicians, um, more compassion for other medical students, as well as changes in biomarkers. Students, this was research was done at Georgetown, where I teach, although I was not uh, one of the authors of this particular study, using our model showed that students, when exam time came, they didn't have the increase in uh, levels of cortisol, students who participated in 10 weeks of mind-body skills groups, that other students had. And they didn't have the increases in testosterone either. They were more relaxed and more physiologically imbalanced than the other students. So I've chosen to study a comprehensive approach because I think that's, that's what's needed when we're traumatized. That's what's needed when we have a chronic illness. 
that's what's needed when we want to learn how to take care of ourselves. It's not a matter of either meditation or talking about what's going on with you or using your imagination or changing your diet. It's about creating a comprehensive program, which includes all of those plus group support. So that's what I believe in. The, the basic question when you're going through a hard time is what's going to make me better? It's not, well, does X, is X more important than Y? There's plenty of research showing the benefits of X and Y, whether it's nutritional change or meditation or physical exercise or group support. What I want to do is to study what happens when you put them all together and you can potentially maximize the therapeutic and preventive benefit. So that's what I'm involved in. And that's what we do at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. Our major focus is on helping people who are most in need. And as we've done that over the last, we've been doing that now for 27 years, over the last, oh, almost 20 years, we've been studying the effects of what we do and publishing the research in peer-reviewed medical journals and psychological journals. The center has an upcoming professional training program in um, Maryland. And tell me a little bit about the program and um, the different places where you've gone and done this training. And I was just, for everybody, you need to listen to Dr. Gordon's TED Med talk. It's amazing. And he tells a story, one of several different stories, but the story of the little girl, what was her name? Azar. Azar. It's, that will give you the feels, folks. Uh, but anyway, Please tell us a little bit more about the, the program and the training. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, Azar is such a beautiful example of what can happen. Azar is a, uh, a nine-year-old girl who was in a mind-body skills group led by someone we trained in Gaza. Uh, Gaza's had three major wars in the last eight years or so. Oh, 10 years, really. Uh, I'm sorry, 12 years. Since 2006, uh, there have been three major wars. And Azar's father was killed in the most recent war in 2014. And she was in a group, she's nine years old, and she was in a group of other children whose fathers were also killed. And essentially, uh, without telling the whole story, and please do look at the, the TED Talk, Azar is somebody who's such a teacher for me. Uh, ten weeks, or actually nine sessions, she was in the group for nine sessions with a leader that we trained who was a teacher, uh, was a university teacher whom we trained. And she began the group feeling like she should die. She should be with her father. This is five months after the war was over. And by the time she concluded the group, learning all these techniques of self-awareness and self-care, she'd come alive again. And she was uh, planning to be a heart doctor. So it's a rather amazing transformation. And you can sort of hear in more detail about it. And that's what we see. Uh, not only in Gaza, we've seen it in Israel, we've seen it in Kosovo and Haiti. We're seeing it with Syrian refugees in Jordan. We're now working in Broward County where there were shootings at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School this past February. Uh, we're working with U.S. military, as you mentioned in the introduction. And what we do everywhere we go is we provide a full-scale training program for those people in the community who are the helpers and healers. So we train physicians, we train psychologists, social workers, nurses. 
We also train students. We have a lot of medical students who've come through our training. Uh, now, some of our trainings, we're training high school peer counselors. We'll be doing that at Stoneman Douglas High School in uh, uh, in Broward County, Florida. We've done it on the Pine Ridge Reservation. We've done it in Gaza as well. What we do is we train local people. First of all, you have to learn how to use these techniques on yourself, and that's what you learn in the first five days of the training. You learn the science. You learn uh all, you study, take a look at all the papers that I mentioned earlier and dozens and dozens more. You experience the techniques. You share your experience in a small group led by one of our experienced faculty. Um, and you, so you experience the whole model and you experience the change on yourself. You can't help other people to heal themselves unless you're also learning how to do that with yourself. So that's the first part of the training. And every year we do at least one open training and it's coming up uh, October 11th through 15th in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can look on our website, cmbm.org. And we always welcome students. We have a quite a low price for students to come. We also have scholarships for people who are working with low-income populations or for healthcare providers or community organizers or others who are themselves working with a, a small income. So we want everybody to come who needs and wants to be there. And then we do a second training, an advanced training, where we teach you how to teach. That's a few months later. This advanced training will be in January. And we teach you how to use what you've learned on yourself and practiced on yourself with other people could be other students, it could be patients you're working with, it could be colleagues on a medical school faculty, it could be people at your church or synagogue or mosque. You can use the method wherever you want. And then we can also provide uh, supervision and certification to really help you do this work at the highest level. And we provide this training to communities that have gone through difficult times or are going through difficult times. So right now, as I said, we're in Broward County, Florida. We're in Houston, Texas, following uh, Hurricane Harvey. We're about to begin a training in Sonoma, California, where they had those terrible wildfires last October. We're getting ready to do a program in Puerto Rico after the hurricanes there. We've been working with U.S. military, both those who were traumatized long ago, as well as those who were recently recently been traumatized by the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we're working in Kosovo, Israel, Gaza, Haiti. Uh, I'm going to Jordan in a couple of days. We're doing a training there for uh, people from all over the region, leaders of, from an organization called Save the Children. We're training their leadership throughout the Middle East. So we have trainings that are specialized, or not specialized, but they're designed for a particular community or a particular medical center or medical school. And then we have trainings to which everyone is welcome to come. And uh, I know some people from the program at Integrated Medicine at GW have come through our training and that they're using our model. They've been using our model uh, with patients with, with chronic illness. And uh, we, want, we, we, we want people to come. And this is the first time we've done it on the East Coast in a while. So if you want to come, please come. It's cmbm.org is the website and go on the website and you can talk with our staff. And if you need a scholarship, talk with them about a scholarship. We give out quite generous 
uh, scholarships to people who need to have scholarships to come, and students. Uh, and this is this is how we reach out. We have we expect about oh, 180, 200 people to come to this training. There are still places, and we welcome those who want and need to be there. Really, the only the the criterion for the training is that you are going to use this work, use this method to understand and help and heal yourself, and that you are going to share it with other people. So you don't have to be a clinician who's already in practice. We have people come who are uh, community organizers, for example, where they're volunteering in a, in a shelter for homeless people, and they want to share this with homeless people, or they want to share it in their church. So we're reaching out. We want to be, we're here to be of service to you. And right now in this training, we're particularly here to be of service to those in the greater Washington area. Although we welcome people from all over, and we'll have people from overseas coming as well as from all over the United States. Now, before we let you go, is there an easily, easily accessible mind-body medicine technique that you can share with our listeners? Sure, I'll be happy to. So the basic, basic technique, and this is the one that I teach right at the beginning of Unstock. It's the one we use at the beginning of our trainings. It's the one we use at the beginning of each mind-body skills group is a concentrated meditation called soft belly. You notice I change my position. I'm sitting up a little bit straighter. And I encourage those who are watching or listening to this to also do the same. But be relaxed, you know. Just have a nice sort of sitting upright, but also relaxed. And if you feel comfortable, allow your eyes to close. Breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth with your belly soft and relaxed. This way of breathing may be a little unfamiliar to some of you at first, but it's really very relaxing. To encourage this process, to fulfill the concentrative part of concentrative meditation. Concentrate on your breath as you breathe in and out, on your belly rising and falling with the breath, and on the words soft as you breathe in and belly as you breathe out. If thoughts come, let them come, notice them, let them go. Gently bring your mind back to soft belly. Okay, open your eyes and let your attention come back in the room. So that's soft belly. I don't know, did you notice any change in doing that? I'm very relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> that's the idea. 
And the, the whole idea is this is and it's so simple. And this is just a couple of minutes on our website, cmbm.org. I'm doing it there for about 10 minutes, and I'm explaining all, all the physiology as I do it, helping you to relax your muscles. But So that's a good place. This is a good place to begin. If you want to learn a little bit more and do a little bit more, check it out on the website. If you want to find out more about it, read Unstuck. And if you want to not only learn how to do it for yourself, but learn how to be teaching other people and learn all the science, please come to our training, October 11th to 15th in Ellicott City, Maryland. And uh, you, those of you who are watching or, or listening are most welcome to come. And this is this should be, if this is a part of every day, we do this at the beginning of all our staff meetings. So <laughs> it helps us not argue so much with each other. We're able to relax and let go of what's going on and <laughs> actually pay attention to what the other people are saying. And then we do it at the end of the staff meeting to, to close the meeting and say, okay, meeting's over. Time for next, whatever comes next, just relax. Meeting may have been great, but it's time to move into the next thing that you're doing. And if you do this perhaps several times a day, even for a few minutes each time, it will change. It will change you. It will change how you look at the world. It will help you deal with stress and trauma that, that comes up in whatever, whatever you're doing. And will help you become to use that R word, it will help you become more resilient. It will help give you a little perspective. It will help you have a little bit of a sense of humor about the things that may ordinarily have driven you or me or any of us a little bit crazy. So it's fundamental practice. This is not alternative medicine. This is medicine. This is meditation as fundamental to medicine. In fact, they come from the same Sanskrit and Greek root. So I'm very happy to share this with you, and thank you for asking. Well, thank you for joining us on the show today. That's all the time we have. Tatiana? This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Janet Rodriguez. And I'm Tatiana Zanko. Thank you for listening. Thank you.